Thank you, Brian. Uh, before we move on to our sermon, we did have uh, a word come in that I thought it would be great to share with you. This is from Jessica Brady, and um, some of you know, you might remember some of her thoughts that she shared with us um, weeks ago, but it says the sense that she got this morning is that the water is flowing again, like it was a few months ago, but that we've forgotten about it, that we're scared to let it flow because we might be called to something that makes us feel uncomfortable. And so what we need to know is that the promise God brings with the water flow is better, better than anything we could ever imagine. So I encourage you to be thinking about that, to pray about that. I'm actually going to pray for Greg as he gets ready to lead us in some learning today from Hebrews. But keep that in mind as we think about what it means to rest in the goodness of God. Father, Son, Spirit, thank you for the joy it is to be with you, to worship with you, and to celebrate communion with you. And even in our um, physical absence, we can be present with one another and with you. And so, God, we pray that you would give us rest, that as we are in the flow of your Holy Spirit moving in and around and through us, that even if it feels a little uncomfortable, God, we would find our rest in you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be able to connect with you. My name is Greg, I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. Um, And uh, I am really so grateful and thankful to be able to continue to celebrate and worship together, to be able to mourn and grieve together, to be able to connect in ways that honor God by honoring each other, and to acknowledge by our continuing to connect this way, the God we follow is not unable to move because we're not. In fact, I believe that God has been moving in some ways that have opened up new ways for us to connect and new directions for us to love and care and serve and move in the midst of all of this. And you've been doing that too. And so all that to say thanks so much for continuing to be present, continuing to participate, and continuing to partner with God in what God is doing um, in in our world. Um, I do want to share with you... uh, as many of you know, I sketch out some of my notes sometimes, um, and uh, along with Jessica's word uh, this morning, see if I can get this right, this was kind of my guiding image for this morning. I don't know if you can see that on there, um, but it's just a picture of a waterfall, water flowing out from some rocks. Um, yeah, just ties in with what Jessica was sharing, so I pray you'd be open, as uh, I pray I would, and we all would be open to what God might be speaking in our midst through these things. So uh, with all that, let's pray. God, I give you great thanks for this day, for today, and for your presence in our lives. God, that each moment you invite us to be with you, to be present with you in the things that you are doing uh, in this world and in our lives, and uh, what a great joy and delight it is to be able to participate with you Um, in those things. And so I pray this morning you would continue to draw us closer to you. Um, And in doing so, we would see more of your beauty, more of your glory, um, and in the process also become more like you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this morning we're gonna continue our journey uh, through the book of Hebrews, this kind of mystery letter from the New Testament of the Bible, the part of the Bible written after Jesus was born, uh, killed, and then resurrected from the dead. And I say it's a mystery because there's some key pieces of information that we're missing, or at least we're not getting them in the usual ways we do from some similar uh, types of literature we find in the Bible. And the things, the main things that we're missing are exactly who wrote it, when it was written, um, and uh, who the original audience was or where they even lived. Um, and these make it challenging to sort of interpret some of the things that the author might be, uh, might be writing about. One of the key things we do know, however, is that the group receiving the letter had been through some level of persecution. The author says, but it's not been to the point where you've had to, to suffer till you died, um, but that they've been through some level of persecution, and that's probably gonna be increasing. Um, and so that's one key piece of information that I think is good for us to have in mind as we move on uh, through our exploration today. Because um, it's gonna give us extra insight into what the author's trying to communicate, what the hearers and the listeners might be uh, hearing in this. Um, I actually want to start uh, going way back and starting with a story from the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus was born. And, and I want to read this because uh, the writer is going to be making some key connections uh, to things that we really need to have a certain level of, level of understanding with in order to bring some clarity to our own exploration of this letter. And so we're going to start way back in the beginning of the Bible uh, in the first section or what we call a book uh, within the Bible called Genesis. And we're going to be looking uh, quickly at a small section in chapter 2. And Genesis, again, it's the, it's the start of the Bible. It tells the story of how God creates the universe, including all living things, and that includes us. Um, and it also talks about humankind's relationship with God and the different things that happen with that relationship right at the beginning and then moving on through history. Um, and we find that after God has created all things, and, and set everything into motion for this universe to go and to flourish and grow, that he did something that's, that's pretty unique. Uh, it says in Genesis 2, 2, 3, it says this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God creates and then God rests. And it's not that God needs to rest because God's fatigued or worn out or anything like that. The word here for rest is more a cessation of movement that happens once a particular point is reached. And so it could be uh, comparable to a boat that's moving through the water and then as it uh, comes up and rests on the shore, it stops because the, the arrival point has been gotten to. Uh, for those of you who like to cook or for those of you who like to eat also, uh, it's like a meal that's been prepared. And when that meal is done, you stop cooking and you move on to something else. You enjoy what you've done and it's kind of a way of resting. You eat that meal. And so you get to enjoy your work. And that's the imagery that's being created here. And so God creates and then rests from all that creative work and gets to enjoy that work. So after that creating, God enters into that rest. Humanity is there with God. And at some point, humanity decides it's gonna go their own way. No longer gonna stay in relationship with God in the way it was in the beginning. And so humans turn from God and the results from that were really significant. That humans now experience a, a broken relationship with God or a distance from God. And they even now would experience death. 
But even in that turning, God reestablishes relationship with humanity and moves in ways to, to draw people back to God and, and, uh, and to continue to move on. But those consequences are still in play. And so after some time, God's people, who we also know as Israel, continue to journey with him, continue to grow in their relationship. But they become enslaved to Egypt. But God leads them out of there and defeats the rulers of Egypt in that process. And so we're gonna join back in with Israel at a spot where they've just gone through that coming out of enslavement to Egypt and they're wandering, uh, not wandering, but they're moving around in the desert at this point. Um, And this is in the book of Exodus. It's the very next book in the Bible after Genesis. Turn to chapter 17 and these are verses one through seven and it says this. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. What a name. Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses and they said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. And so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so the Israelites leave Egypt following God who has just rescued them and are now in the desert with no food and water and they're upset about this. And that makes sense to us. We can get that, right? When we have things taken away from us that we're used to, it's really hard. And so God tells Moses how to bring water out of this rock. And so he does, but he names the place Massa and Meribah because they tested God there. Now, later on, there's a very similar story. Not the same, but similar. And in a side note, sometimes we as humans have to go through things a handful of times before we start to figure some stuff out. So, If you turn a few more books into the Bible, you'll get to a book called Numbers. Uh, And if you look in chapter 20, verses 6 through 13, uh, right before the section we're going to read, it's pretty much the same setup. They're wandering around. They're hungry and thirsty. They can't find any water, and they're struggling. And so they're they're complaining to Moses about this. Uh, And so we jump in here at verse 6, and this is what it says. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord said to Moses take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water you will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink and so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm, struck the rock twice with his staff, water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, 
where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. So similar situation. But this time God says something different based on how Moses responds because Moses didn't follow what God said and in doing so sort of repeated the things that got humanity in a rough spot with God in the first place. I'm gonna do things my way. And God responds by saying that Moses will not lead this community into the new place that God was going to give them, what we later on will call the promised land. And then finally, the last uh, passage I wanna look at before we get into the passage from Hebrews is one that Rich brought up last week, and it's Psalm 95. So this is later on in Israel's history, and it says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." So this psalm is referring back to the incidences from the previous three passages. It brings God's rest from Genesis into it. And the two moments where Israel and Moses had some issues with God. They quarreled and God provided, but there was still this tension. And so I want us to have all of that in our hearts and minds as we enter in today's passage from this letter we know as Hebrews. Because I want us to be able to get into the writer's space a little bit. I want us to have a different understanding for their heart and mind along with the recipients too because that's precisely one of the key aspects of this passage, one of the key things we're gonna find out about what God invites us into, about getting into someone's space. So this is uh, Hebrews chapter four, uh, verses one through 11. Hebrews 4, Therefore, 1 through 11. Since the promise, Therefore, since of, the entering promise of entering his rest stands, still stands, let us be careful, us be that, careful none that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the because they did now not we share who the believed faith enter that rest just as God has said. Now so I declared an oath on my anger, they shall never enter rest, my rest. And yet just as his God works has have said. been finished since the creation so I declared of the world. On oath in my For anger, somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these rest. On the seventh and day, yet, God rested his works have been from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Okay, we're gonna give a pause for a sec. So we're Hebrews four one through eleven. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, oh, let sorry. us be careful yep. that none sorry, of you be found falling short this. of it. My bad, totally forgot. For we that. also so have had the good news proclaimed to us, to do a, just as they really did. But the message duet. they heard was so, of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. 
Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did with a long time later, he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. All right. Sorry about my confusion on that. Thank you, Jessica, for doing a fantastic job um, reading that. Um, Have you ever walked into a space, a house, a room, maybe somewhere outside, wherever it was, and it greatly impacted how you acted or how you felt or how you even just lived in that moment? Or have you ever been in the presence of someone who was doing something different than you or maybe even the same thing as you and what they were doing was so pure and had so much integrity with who they were that it influenced the way you felt and the way you were in that moment? Maybe it had a sense of just trying to take it all in, learning about that space or that person. Or maybe it was something almost overwhelming about that space or about that person that that you just can't shake. Sometimes it's a feeling of devastation or sorrow or fear. Other times it's a feeling of hope, joy, courage, or inspiration. Sometimes you can't really define what it feels like, but you know in that moment you're supposed to be there. Sometimes it's a blessing and an honor that someone would share that space with you and share who they are with you. And sometimes it hurts to encounter who someone is or to encounter the hurt that has been done in a certain place. Have you ever been back to your hometown or your old neighborhood or maybe even the house that you grew up in or walked through the schools you attended? There are feelings and memories attached to those things. I don't know if you've ever encountered a teacher you had. Um, My brother and I, we grew up in Gig Harbor, a town kind of south and and west of us. Um, And uh, we were uh, together and we were driving around. We stopped at this mini mart in Gig Harbor. And for some reason, the line was really long, like eight or nine people long. And we were standing there and we heard this voice, this unmistakable voice. And it was that of one of our eighth grade teachers. Uh, and her name was Miss Crockrell, and she was an amazing teacher, Um, but she had a really distinct voice, and she had really high standards that she didn't force on you, but she invited you into, and you wanted to do well in her class, but there were other things about her too. She was really mysterious. She had really long fingernails, like two, three inches long, and there were all these stories that were told about her, 
right, that made you just wonder, who is this person? But what my brother and I both noticed is when we heard that voice, we both went from standing really relaxed to standing up very straight. And we noticed the whole line did that. We realized that a lot of people knew Miss Crockrell and had probably had Miss Crockrell as a teacher. And so there's something about that person that evoked certain memories of ours. Recently at the beginning of the stay home, stay healthy uh, uh, phase of the, the quarantine or the COVID-19 uh, regulations, a friend of mine was driving across the Narrows Bridge that connects Tacoma and Gig Harbor. And he took these pictures. This was a Monday morning at 9 a.m. That's the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. They had to build two bridges because traffic was so bad. And it was still bad every day. It should have been jam-packed but it wasn't. And so my friend drove across, got off the freeway, and then went back the other way, and this is a picture going the other way. Same thing. Totally empty. The, the feelings that I associate with that bridge aren't even close to this. And I grew up going across that bridge all the time. And this past summer, my family uh, had the opportunity to travel for, for a while while I was on sabbatical. And we spent time in the UK and Iceland and Italy and Norway. And uh, we went to Oxford and I really wanted to go to this pub called the Eagle and Child because it was a place that C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and some other great writers and thinkers hung out and were together. Uh, and here's the outside of it. And, and when I walked in, I instantly felt smarter. I wanted to be smoking a pipe and talking about hobbits and Narnia and all things like that. We discovered that C.S. Lewis, there's a quote on the wall by him that talked about how he, uh, some of his best times were spent uh, in pubs, in old clothes with old friends, just going about. And we were happy to be able to live that out with our friends, the Langs, who some of you know also, uh, in that same pub that we got to, to sort of experience some of what he was talking about. And that, that impacted me, that influenced me. In Italy, um, we got to go to two towns that my, uh, my ancestors came from, one called San Pio del Camer and another one called Castel Nuevo, and they're right next to each other. And this is from uh, San Pio del Camer. It's just right in the heart of town. And I got to experience places where my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents probably walked. There's an old castle that's in ruins up on the hill behind it. And if I know my family, they probably tried to get into that castle, right? And so there was this huge connection for me. And it was almost overwhelming, the place and the space and the meaning. But the real place I was looking to get to was Norway. I have family from Norway, and I can't fully describe my feelings in this place. I, I grew up hearing tons of stories about this place called Gomvek, the city my grandmother grew up in and immigrated from in 1921. It's the most northern city in Norway, and she would talk about this place where there were no trees, there were only rocks and some kind of green scrub grass and ground cover. They could only grow potatoes there. It was really rocky and gray, and the skies were gray oftentimes, but when they cleared, they were beautifully blue. And in the summertime, the sun doesn't set for a few weeks. And in the wintertime, it hardly shows up for quite a while. It snowed a lot. And I'd always been fascinated with that place. It was my happy place before I even knew what happy places were. 
And we got to Norway, we started in the south and we headed north and the whole way I could feel something in me stirring. I could feel something changing. And the thoughts of being on the land and walking in the spaces that my family had walked and lived was amazing. But it was something beyond that. This place, I'm gonna show you in a second, felt like home to me. It was like so much of what I grew up with was present in this tiny town in Norway and it was beautiful. There's a picture of my family and I in front of the, it's called the Schletnes Lighthouse. Um, and it's this uh, really important place because um, Germany came in uh, during World War II and, and completely uh, destroyed all the buildings. And this lighthouse was, was mostly destroyed after three sessions of uh, Germany coming in trying to level things. And so when the people of Gomvek came back, they said, look, our lighthouse is still standing. They couldn't destroy everything. And so they rebuilt their city off of this. And I was deeply moved by that, super inspired by that. And this land, this is the land I dream of when I think of a happy place. Right, it just, it resonates with me. And I got to experience different things about who I was in this place. And the reason that I bring all this up is because God invites us into something. It's God's rest. It's not our rest, at least not initially, but it's God's rest. You see, the rest that God invites us into is not initially called our rest. If you remember from the passage that Jessica read, it says things like, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest or God's rest still stands, and God says they shall never enter my rest. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works, and again in the passage above, he says they shall never enter my rest, and for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their own work just as God did from his. All of these indicate both in the language and in the, in the grammatical structure and all that, that it's not talking about this is a rest that God has built for us like it's a waiting room that we get to go to. The sense is this is a rest that God is in, that God enjoys, that God exists in, and he invites us into the very activities and presence of what he is and what he's doing. And so we have this reality that God created the universe as an expression of God's own nature. It's who God is to create and bring things to flourish. And it's God's nature to share that. And we, we believe that God exists in this mysterious way in a community that we call the Trinity that is made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They exist in an ongoing dance or movement of honoring, serving, blessing, and loving one another. And this movement is so unified and has no person of this group dominating in such a way as to demean or make any one of the others less that we call it one. And so God creates out of that nature, out of who God is, the universe, and we're part of that. And when God is finished, God leaned in to enjoy and rest with all of creation. God rested and we're meant to enter that rest, the space of God engaging with creation, loving creation. It's like family sitting down to enjoy a meal together that has been worked on all day and then getting to enjoy that together. It is home, it is life, it is joy, it's delight, it's love and all are welcome and all can experience this place of life and flourishing. It is rest in the sense that we get to stop striving, striving against each other, stop striving against the world, and instead live, move, and have our very being. We get to be who we're created to be. And all over scripture it says, this is good. 
And so the writer of Hebrews senses in their friends and in this group that they're writing to that there's a potential that they might miss that. That perhaps in the face of persecution or discouragement, they're gonna miss this by allowing their hearts to become hard, to become resistant, to become bent against. And so they warn the people they care for, don't miss this. Don't allow your hearts to become hard. Don't leave God's presence. Look, here's Jesus, the very one that all things were created through, who is the exact representation of God's being. And he provided the means for us to enter into God's rest. And so the warning not only went to them, but comes to us. And whatever you're dealing with, don't let your heart harden. In anger, in frustration, in isolation, in stir craziness, etc. Don't let your heart harden against hope, against faith, against love, kindness, goodness, patience, faithfulness, joy, gentleness, self-control, peace. Don't let your heart harden against these things and so doing harden against God. And so if in anything, in any way, shape, or form, you hear God's voice, they say don't harden your heart because God has spoken in the past and in these last days has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Jesus the very word of God, the eternal living word of God. And if anything stirs in you at the mention of the name of Jesus, if anything moves when you see redemptive, loving acts happening, then you're hearing the word of God. That is the movement of the Holy Spirit in our world. And if you're getting any bit of a heartbeat from this, then you are hearing the voice of God and the time to respond according to the writer of Hebrews, drawing from the voice of God in Psalm 95, the time to respond is today. It's right now, this very moment, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, it's this very moment. Oh, and now it's this very moment. Oh, and now it's this very moment. According to the author, God names the time to respond. The time to respond to God's invitation to enter God's rest as today. And it doesn't matter if you've believed God for all your life, for half your life, for the last 10 minutes, 10 seconds, or never at all. If you hear God's voice now, then the time to respond is today. It means that the invitation to God, of God to enter his rest is always open. As long as we use time uh, and, and days as a measuring stick and not, not like we don't use it right now, but there's gonna be a time where we're not gonna have to use days to measure things. But as long as we do, there's a today. And so we can enter in to that reality of being in that rest right now. And although we are in a space and time that is and will continue to influence how we live, there is something deeper. The rest of God is that deeper thing that can move and shape us to engage in our current context in ways that bring life and flourishing to us and those around us. But how do we do that? How do we enter that rest? Well, the author of Hebrews says it's by believing, it's by faith. Even when we don't see it, we somehow believe. Have you ever known that something is true even when it hasn't felt true? It's really hard. Because our feelings, we actually need to pay attention to those because they tell us some things about what we're going through and who we are that you have to listen to and acknowledge. And sometimes what they reveal is maybe we don't have an accurate assessment of what's going on, right? I don't know if I've told you this before, but I have an overwhelming at times fear of sharks, specifically 
great white sharks. And uh, someday, I'm gonna get into a cage and I'm gonna hang out with these critters uh, and, and maybe that won't be until heaven and, and I won't need a cage and I'll get to swim with them just for fun. Uh, but that's a whole other sermon and a whole other story. But there have been times when I'm in swimming pools or lakes or rivers, places where these critters can't exist and I have an overwhelming fear that they're in the water. And sometimes I can squelch that and sometimes I can talk myself out of it and sometimes I just gotta get out of the water. The point of that is to say we may not always feel something that is, that is true or is accurate, but our feelings, we gotta listen to those sometimes to figure that out. And so sometimes I might not feel the presence of God or hear God's voice in the ways I want to or in the ways I think I should. But if we believe somehow we can enter into that space of rest to be able to more clearly hear God and then we can experience rest for ourselves also. This is actually one of the reasons why we have our services structured the way we do. We try to have 20 minutes of uninterrupted worship. And it doesn't mean uninterrupted like people can't share scripture verses or prayer or move in the giftings of the Holy Spirit or something like that. But we don't do announcements, we don't have the sermon, we don't break in with other stuff because we realize in our world that there typically isn't space for us to just rest and be for 20 minutes of uninterrupted time. So that's one of the things we do to help make that happen. And I wanna kind of wrap this up. Um, one of the things that rest allows is for people to enjoy something or just be present with something or someone. And when Governor Inslee announced the four-phase safe open strategy, one of the things I noticed was a shift in our focus. As a pastor, uh, I talk with other pastors and read articles and look at websites about being a pastor and all that stuff. And, and within that group, for sure, and in other places too, there was a shift from how do we pastor in the midst of COVID-19 and all that's come with it to how do we pastor out of it? What are the transitions and what are the steps and all that? And which is all good. But the thing I noticed that concerned me was it was almost like we were preparing for another pandemic. It had the same feel and the same fervor to it that we shifted all of our energy into that. And there was no space in that to even think about what we might be learning. And I felt like we were just getting into some time and space where we're beginning to see some things about who we are, maybe in some difficult ways, maybe in some great ways. And then it was like, boom, time to move out. Let's pack up and go. And ignore some of the things that we're figuring out. And you gotta trust me when I say I'm not wanting to stay in this phase any longer than anyone else. I want out of it too. But I wonder if one of the things we're learning in this is that to be at rest, to stop moving because we actually need to or because we're done with something and to experience that moment, I wonder if that's something we're just not very good at. Learning who we are in these moments. Who is God in this time? Where is God in this time? What does it look like that God is resting in this time? Can we enter into God's rest in this time? And the author of Hebrews says, yes, today, right now, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart and enter the rest that God enjoys. And in doing so, you will enter into rest. I have a few questions that I wanna ask you and I give you some time to reflect on those and uh, after we go through those, I'm gonna pray and then Brian's gonna come up and play instrumentally for a moment and then and give you a little more time to, to sit and rest. Um, 
another thing we do to try to provide that space. Um, and then we're gonna close with a song. Uh, I also want you to know that the prayer team is also ready to pray with you through our online prayer chat. You can just click on the tab in the online service dashboard and you'll be contacted by the prayer team uh, soon after that. Uh, and so with that, here are the, here are the questions I have uh, to, for you to reflect on. And you can also write answers to these on your online connection card and turn those into us. It's a great way for us to know uh, what you're thinking and what's happening. So first question, can you remember a moment where you entered a space, place, or the presence of someone that impacted you? And if so, would you be willing to share that? Any time or place or person that you felt moved, um, what was that like? Share that about that experience. Um, Second, have you been able to enter into the rest of God in a way that has allowed you to rest recently? Um, I'm not finding currently people who are lacking in things to do or emails to answer or Zoom meetings to be a part of. Uh, and most people I talk to are actually feeling quite worn out uh, and stretched thin. So I'm, I'm curious if you've been able to find ways to allow yourself to rest in the midst of this. And then the last question have you seen or become aware of any redemptive acts happening around you? How do those impact you when you encounter them? And are there ways to participate in those? I think one of the greatest ways that we can um, believe is to find those places where God is moving and experience God. Anytime love is happening, kindness, joy, all those kinds of good things, that's God moving. Even if it comes from a source or seems in a setting that doesn't seem like, oh, I didn't know God would move in that area. It's, it's God moving. If it's love, it's God. And so have you seen those things and, uh, and how does it feel when you encounter them and are there ways for you to participate in those? Uh, let me pray. And as I said, uh, Brian's gonna come up and play instrumentally. You have a little more time to reflect um, and then we'll close with a song. Jesus, I'm thankful this morning that as we continue to celebrate your resurrection, um, we, we have a way to enter into God's rest through what you've done. That God, you provided that means for us to enter back into your rest. God, and I pray that as we do that, as we get to be with you, as you rest and enjoy creation and its goodness and your relationship with creation and with each of us, we would learn what it looks like to rest, to be with you in that context. Then when we're encountering the things of our world that are difficult, we would have something deeper to influence how we are influenced by those other things. Lord, I pray that our lives would reflect that and would be sources of light and life um, yeah, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our city, and in our world. Yeah, and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.